Welcome, everybody, to the final off-season episode of Industry Seating. We are one week away from, well, actually, less than one week away. Next Saturday marks the beginning of the 2021 Monster Energy Supercross season. I can't wait. seems like it's been a long time, and we even had a, a longer season last year than ever, and it still feels like it's just been forever. And I know for the sake of this podcast, it will be nice to have you know, race content to talk about and we can get back into the power rankings and all those things. But I do have a few questions to answer today. Uh, listener sent in, I also have an interview from James Burry of risk racing. And, and that's something I want to in, be introducing each week into the industry seating podcast is interviews with podcast sponsors. And I want to get all of you, the 30 or so listeners of this show more familiar with the podcast sponsors and the products they may have to offer. So check that out. It'll be kind of coming up in between questions here, but I do want to thank the sponsors of this podcast before we get too far. Pirelli tires. Of course, I also want to give a shout out to Plum Creek funding as they are the presenting sponsor for 2021. Thank you to Zach Morris. I will have an upcoming interview with him as well. Works connection blends all fast foundry Plum Creek funding. As I mentioned, premier vapor blasting of Georgia 612 suspension Pro Glow Wash, Risk Racing, and Grand Stone Boots, and I cannot leave out Fly Racing either. So let's jump into these questions this week. I, I do uh, appreciate when I get multiple questions because it makes my life a little easier, and this comes from Eric Sanders. The first question is, what chains are used on factory bikes? Myself and probably most everyone that buys their own bikes use an O-ring or an X-ring chain for longevity. That being said, I've heard that pros use a standard chain. And the only reason I could think of is that the feeling or response is better, or maybe it's, uh, the clip of the master link. If I could afford to buy standard chains over and over, I would use them just to never have to put on a clip again. Is this true and why? So from my experience and what I know you are correct. Most teams choose to use standard chains. They do not use O-ring chains in my own personal use going back to my racing days, this was the case, but on my practice bikes, a lot of times I would use O-rings just for lack of maintenance. I didn't want to have to go through chains all the time. I didn't want to have to tighten my chain all the time. And it was just, it was just convenience. It was just easier for me and my mechanics and my dad, when he was my mechanic knew that I, I hated working on my bike and it was just a better scenario for me to work on it less. So we used it now on a race bike where you are very much concerned with performance you don't want an O-ring because the O-ring chain, from what I know, creates drag. There is uh, the O-ring there, and, and it does cut down on performance and power and all those things. Now, how much? I don't know. That's not for me to – I don't know those things. But from engine people I talk to and people that are very smart, engineers, all these things, they would never put an O-ring chain on a bike that they were concerned with performance. Factory, you know, Factory bikes and factory teams and all that it goes without saying that parts and all those things are not really a concern. You know, how many chains they go through in a season is not a high priority. So if they can gain a performance edge by using a standard chain over an O-ring, then that's, it's really a no brainer. They wouldn't even consider using an O-ring chain in that scenario, especially the 250 Fs. A 450, I could understand if, if you really didn't care and you had some sort of concern there. If you were breaking chains or something was going on and you wanted to go to the O-ring, I could see it. But even then, uh, most teams are still, they're putting tons and tons of money and, and resources into their engine packages and their electronics packages. So anything that would negate any of that power or that edge, 
they would stay away from. Uh, so in this case, unless there is some underlying reason to have to use an O-ring or just, you know, for, for practice bike reasons, they would, they would stick with the standard chain. It would be an, an interesting question to ask, uh, to Steve Mathis and maybe something we could cover sometime. He would know much, much more than I would. Um, you know, the, the mechanics of a motorcycle is not my area of expertise, but from what I know, it's just to avoid, uh, the drag that an O-ring chain would cause. Now, the second question on here is about the YZ 250. And, and I was reading it the first time I was like, what? But then I, I realized that the, uh, you know, a 250 F is now called a YZ 250 these days. And he's asking if, you know, we all know how powerful the Yamaha 250 engines are. We know how great the monster star Yamaha bikes are. And he's asking, why do the OEMs not switch their engine configuration to the Yamaha style where they have the reverse engine and they have so much more air, uh, that's creating the horsepower. He mentions that Steve Mathis has covered this on the show and said that the other manufacturers just wouldn't want to concede out of prideful reasons. I think there's some truth to that, but we also have to remember that Yamaha did this on both bikes. They did it on the 450 and they did it on the 250 later. The 450, I don't think it was very well received. If you go back to the years when James Stewart was on the 450, that bike was not a favorite of very many people. It had all sorts of issues and you could talk to people now and they would tell you that it still has those issues. I kind of like the Yamaha 450 now. I think they've gotten, uh, it's gotten much more stable and much more predictable, but there are still people that would say those same characteristics that people hated back then are still there. Maybe they're more subtle, but they're still there. Now, why they are not as present on the 250, you know, I, I think it's probably just the weight and less power and all the things, because with the 450, you've even heard guys like Justin Barsha say, even in, you know, years like 2020, when you start to add a horsepower, more horsepower to the 450, it starts to act up a little bit. So my guess would be reducing weight and reducing horsepower to the 250 that drastically all of those things that riders don't like the unpredictability and the strange handling things that go on are reduced significantly because you're reducing power so much more significantly than a 450. Now that's just my assessment, but all those things seem to make sense logically. And I, you know, as for why the OEMs don't do it, who knows, you know, some, some OEMs want to run steel frames. Some OEMs want to run, uh, you know, the aluminum frames, I guess they're more like a chromoly steel. But all of these manufacturers have their own ideas for how a motorcycle should work. And I don't think in my heart of hearts, if you went to the KTM engineers and said, you know, why don't you guys build the Yamaha, like build an engine like the Yamaha and run the reverse style like that? I don't think that they would say, yeah, you're right. You know, we are, our design is inferior. I think they would disagree strongly with that. And you never really know what's coming down the pike, you know, the things that they're working on who knows, right? They could have something that they believe would, will be better than that. And it's, it's just really hard to diagnose, but I won't completely disregard what Steve said, because there certainly is a matter of pride with a lot of these things. They, they would never want to admit that. Yeah. Yeah. Just Yamaha has the, you know, superior engine design and we should all just fall in line with a, with what they do. I think they would rather try to pave their own path and, you know, create what's you know, next air quotes around next, then they would try to copy what Yamaha's done. That's, that's just not a very favorable move for a lot of these 
manufacturers is to copy what someone else has done that just doesn't resonate very well overall. And it also, you know, Yamaha would be like, oh, well, why would you buy anything else? If everyone's just going to copy us, why don't you just buy a Yamaha then? So lots of things going on there. But in the end, they would probably never answer that all the way. They would probably just never give you a straight answer anyway. If they did, they would likely just tell you they'd rather do their own thing. They'd rather go their own path and create their own new engine design that maybe will surpass what Yamaha has done now, right? Because if we've learned anything with two strokes, four strokes, dirt bikes in general, they're continuing to evolve. They're, they're getting better and better and better, you know, and you go back to the nineties when, you know, uh, even Eric mentions it here, the 97 aluminum frame, that was a step forward. And, and some people hated it, but now most people concede that aluminum frames are better. KTM, maybe not Husky, maybe not but most bikes are, have gone to the aluminum frame style. Go back years before that and all the mono shock and, you know, there were double shocks and all these things, air cooled bikes, right? When they went to liquid cooled, there's just so many steps forward that bikes have made. So I don't think that this engine package that Yamaha ha- Yamaha has now, that's not going to last forever. They're not going to continue to just hold this edge that they have right now. You know, mo- most people think that the KTM 450 has had an edge for the last few years. That won't last forever. Most people think that the 2005 Suzuki RM 252 stroke had an edge. That won't last forever. The 1999 Yamaha YZ125 and then their 250F had a huge edge. That didn't last forever. So my point being these things are cyclical and just the fact that Yamaha has the edge now, somebody else come out with, with something else that's better and then you know round and round we go. That's how you know, ingenuity and, and why these guys continue to create and, and spend so much money on R and D up next. I want to talk about this interview I've done with James Burry at risk racing. We get into the origins of risk racing and some of the products he has to offer. But again, in the end, it's really just to get you guys a little bit more familiar with what they have to offer. And maybe when you go choose to buy a product, you will choose risk racing. All right, now I'm with James Burry of Risk Racing, and really for me, I just wanted to get all of the industry seating listeners to get a little bit more familiar with what Risk Racing has to offer, what they're about, how they got started. So the next time you're in the market for something, maybe you will choose Risk Racing. So James, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you being a part of the show. Um, Yeah, it's a pleasure. I'm excited about it. Yeah, so if you don't mind, take us a little bit through you know, how risk racing came to be and, uh, what, you know, I I don't even know, you know, much of this. So I'm, I'm curious myself. Yeah. Um, and feel free to stop me if I start rambling cause, uh, you know, it's been a while, but, uh, yeah, risk, you know, I, I've, since I was a little kid, I was just into dirt bikes, interested in dirt bikes and we didn't have much. My dad would get me some junky bike that didn't run. And I don't mean to say sound bad by saying junky, but that's what it was. And that's what we could get. And, uh, it also helped me learn how to work on dirt bikes. So as a kid, I always had, not always, but a lot of the times I had just some crappy little bike and grow up through it. But uh, when I finally, I mean, this is all the way through college, and I went to college for product design. That will come back into this. But um, uh, after college, I finally had a little bit of money, and I was able to scratch together uh, something to get a halfway decent still-used bike and then just got into racing. Um, and I loved it. I mean, it was it was everything to me, just chasing points and running, you know, just amateur events every weekend. Um, but, uh, what, what happened is I also met my, my, my wife through motocross and 
as I said before, I went to school for product design, and I was designing products for other companies and a lot of other people and doing different things. But as my wife was racing, she couldn't lift her bike onto a typical stand. And so I'd have to kind of run back after her race and um, try to get there before she's leaning the bike up against the truck or whatever and then lift her bike onto a, a stand. So um, the way risk racing actually started was I was just messing around in my garage, cutting and welding steel, and kind of came up with that ride-on lift. And um, the – <laughs> the the ride on lift the very first version of it was exactly what I could make in my garage so we didn't have any tooling we we didn't have any budget really it was just if I could cut and weld it that's what the product was going to be and um, that is just the, the kind of the real short version of of how it started and um, uh, we we I just built one for her just so she could use it and then people at the track started seeing like hey man that's pretty cool so. We kind of made our first quote-unquote production run, and uh, I was at work while my wife was at home cutting and notching steel, and then I'd come home and weld it, and we went to a trade show in Vegas, and man, uh, it just started like that, right out of my house with, with one product. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, um, you're, it's funny when you go back and you look at where motocross companies came from, and, and a lot of times they were born out of necessity, right? You... Yeah. You needed a product for yourself, and you found a way to produce it, and then off you go. Um, so, yeah, I, I had no idea. And and for my own personal uh, way to relate to that, you know, I'm a pretty short guy, unfortunately. And, yeah, for me, putting my bike, whether it was a, you know, a 60 or an 80 or obviously 65 and 85 now or up to 125, it was not the easiest thing in the world. So I can yeah. certainly, certainly relate to the need for that. Um, but to think about it starting from that and, and what it is, you know, what it is now and, and people all over know what risk racing is now, it has to be pretty crazy for you to look back on and, and you see, obviously no one's been closer to the progression of it than you, but that's, uh, it's pretty wild. Yeah. It's been, it's been fun. And even I, I still got to pinch myself sometimes because we started out with that one real homegrown grown product and, um, it went from just one product to just the evolution, kind of what you said, just things came out of necessity. You know, I was racing and I, I needed better starts and there was no way to practice starts. So we developed first, you know, practice starting gate and then that evolved. And now we had two products and next thing you know, we got three and now we're moving out of the house and getting our first employee and we're renting a place. And what's really neat is that went a couple times to just needing a bigger place and a bigger place to now we got to a point where um, we're sitting on, acreage we've got you know the design you know our offices here our warehouse here we've got a motocross track and trail we've got a pond it's turned into something really cool um and it's just because you know we have an idea and we just draw it up and try to make it and go for it and i don't know if you've seen some of our products we're trying to do things that are unique and, and out of necessity and just trying to do things that are a little bit different yeah, that's awesome. I mean, my so my first interaction with risk racing was that starting gate. Uh, my dad bought it for me. Uh, I'd be guessing at what year it was, um, but you know, starts are such an important part of racing. He bought it, and it's like, hey, here you go, go work on your starts all the time. So uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned that being your second product because that was my first ever interaction with the with the brand at all. Yeah, and even that product uh, has gone through some evolution and. and it, what what's really cool about it is we get feedback. We get feedback from everyday uh, weekend warrior riders. We get feedback from pro riders, and then we always try to improve on it. And so even the gate's gone through some iterations. And in fact, 
you know, I've got some sketches here of how we need to go through and improve it even more based on what we've learned, based on just what our abilities are today and what our, you know, resources and capabilities are. And so, yeah, I, I just want to keep doing that. It's been fun. I'm glad you had a chance to use that gate. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, and, and me being a part of fly racing, I, I certainly know what it's like to, to have a product. And then, you know, you're, you know, it's funny in this business, you're never quite content, you know, and, and I have people that come up to me all the time and say, this or that product is so great. And this, and, and I know what's kind of coming down the line. I know the improvements that are still, you know, we're still in development on and they're, they're not yet to production yet. So I kind of like, I have to put a smile on my face and say, yeah, yeah, that's great. But at the same time, I'm also like, man, wait until you see what's coming because that product you're talking about actually frustrates me so badly because it's not where I think it should be. And I, I know, I know what we're capable of and we're not quite there yet. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a great point that you make about progression, even the products you've had, and maybe it's the same concept of a product, but it just get better and better and better. And you, and you can perfect it over the years, even if it's the same general product. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, sometimes a product gets launched on the market because, Maybe that was the idea you had at the time. Or maybe, just like I said, that very first product we launched, we knew how we could do it better, but we just didn't have the resources, didn't have the money, didn't have the tooling, didn't have anything. So we just did what we could, and it was good. Um, but then we've been able to improve it, and you know, who knows what we'll be able to do in the future. But that's, that's what really drives me. Obviously, I've got a passion for riding and still ride and race every once in a while. Um, uh, but, but what really drives me, too, is just, designing and drawing and trying to come up with something new and there's always it's always a challenge especially when you're trying to do something completely different kind of like our um our new roll-off system that we released i mean it's it's totally different and you know sometimes we stick our neck out there to try to do something that's that's really out of the box and um sometimes we've got to get it out on the market and continue to learn about it so we can perfect it and i mean that's all part of it and it's fun. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that because that's one of the notes I had written here. When I look through your website and just try to wrap my head around the products that you offer, the one word I always come back to is you have unique items. And, you know, I, I try to compare it to the catalog that the brand I work for has. And there are so many differences. There are things that we have never even considered carrying that are a mainstay of your line. And that's, that's an interesting thing to me. So yeah, I, I had the word unique written down. Um, but I, I wanted to just kind of give you an opportunity to talk about a few of your favorite products that are maybe unique and that I don't think most people, they don't know about, right? They, sometimes you don't even realize you have a need for something until you're like, Oh, somebody makes something like that. And, and I think about the palm protector and I think about these things that I don't see very often in the marketplace, but you guys offer them. And, and I think it, it could really help people out if they, if they knew more. Yeah, I, you know, as a small company, I think we've got a lot of products that people never knew that existed, um, mainly because we just we don't have a huge budget to get the big voice out there. But uh, you say what some of my, my favorites, I, I keep on going back to the ride-on lift because it's still one of my favorites, uh, and it's been totally redesigned since the very first ones, and, and it continues to catch on and, and gain popularity. But for the guys that don't want the ride-on version, we did um, recently release uh, an adjustable top, um, more traditional motocross stands, but, you know, especially with, like, the KTMs, the Husqvarna's, the Gas Gas's, even the Hondas that squat in the rear, those bikes that struggle to sometimes they're always dragging a front or rear tire. So this one's got these aluminum turnbuckles, so you can level uh, any bike on this stand, plus it's got magnetic sides, so you can put your 
screws and tools and bolts and different things all on the side. So that's been really cool. Um, yeah, the, uh, the pump protectors, they're so simple. And a lot of people actually ride with them. You just don't know it because they're hiding under their gloves. But uh, if anyone ever has any problems with uh, sore hands or blisters, they should definitely check that out. Um, yeah, that, the was Ripper, a, that was a big one for me. I, uh, I wore these underwear Kevlar liner gloves when I raced that everyone gave me a hard time about. But I rode a lot. I rode, like, literally yeah. every day. And if I just wore gloves, I, I wouldn't be able to. My blisters were too bad. So something like that, that, you know, that would be a more modern solution to that would be right up my alley. Yeah. And did you say people gave you a hard time for running them? They always just made, and even Steve now, Steve Mathis, who I'm at his house right now, he would always <laughs> give me a hard time. He's like, what do you wear those things for? And I'm like, I, I, I get blisters. If I don't wear something, I won't be able to ride every day. And, and especially on race day, I would be, I would be in pain and bleeding all over the place. And I, I had to do something. Yeah. It, I mean, it's funny. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's this industry. It's a tough guy thing or whatever, but, um, you know, sometimes people do that or they'll see an ad for it and say, how, oh, you know, those things are for uh, trying to uh, keep it clean here. But, um, for sissies and uh right. you know if, if you need to wear those you shouldn't ride motocross it's just not the case i mean some of the best riders in the world wear these things because you had sometimes your hands are soft or sometimes you need them or sometimes you ride so much like you that your hand just can't keep up and uh, why not use them you know if it makes it better yeah i, I think uh, what was happening for me is you know i lived in florida and it's crazy humid and you just sweat so much that yeah. the, the addition of moisture into the equation would just turn my hands into mincemeat so it was yeah, some, moisture and heat, man. Yep, yep. Something there to prevent that. Um, so yeah, yeah you know, a need for it. Yeah. It's the same guys that'll complain about, you know, bikes have an electric start, but you know, gosh, right. Love those bikes with electric <laughs> start now, yep, so. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, pretty damn nice. Uh, you know, especially what you watch the races now too. And those guys that don't have electric start anytime, anything bad happens, stall or whatever. They're, they're not the ones that are going to be complaining about an electric start anymore. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, we got to embrace revolution, or we got to embrace design and new ideas. Otherwise, we'd still all be riding around on you know dual shock bikes yep. with four inches of travel. So yep, absolutely. Um, well, but, uh, yeah. I mean, that you know, the biggest goal of you know, I, I wanted to get you guys on, and, and obviously, you, James, you know, starting the company, and I just want to get people more familiar with things you have to offer because it, every time I go on, and and part of my podcast prep is to go on and try to look at something new, whether it's, you know, the seal doctor, whatever, just try to find something else to inform the consumer about. So they don't have to do the work, right? Take that, take one step out of the process between uh, a customer having to make a buying decision and, and teaching them about it. So um, I, I really appreciate you guys coming on. If there's anything else you wanted to add, please do. Um, but again, you know, for me, this is all about connecting dots with, with great companies and, you know, can, obviously our moto community are all very loyal consumers. Um, but it's, it's just getting the information to them. Yeah. I, I think the only thing I would add is if anyone, if any of this intrigued anybody and they want to see a, kind of a unique catalog list of products and they haven't been on our website, go check it out because we aren't just pigeonholed into, yeah, we make stands or we make this or we make that. If we think we've got a good idea, we'll make it. And if you get on there, as you said, you'll see a lot of unique, different products. Um, and we've got some really cool stuff in development too. So, uh, they're going to keep coming. Cool. Well, everybody go to riskracing.com and, uh, we have a promo code. So it's JT dollar signs for JT money and it'll save you 15%. So make sure you add that in there and, uh, 
when you go go buy this stuff, uh, make sure you make your decision with Risk Racing. So, James, thank you very much. I really appreciate you coming on. Appreciate being a part of the podcast, and uh, hopefully we'll see you at one of these races we're about to kick off. Yeah, yeah, I look forward to it. And thanks for the opportunity. This has been fun. Okay, man, see ya. Yep, see ya. Okay, thanks for that, James. And again, you guys can check out riskracing.com. You can go to at riskracing on their Instagram to learn more, and you can use promo code JT dollar sign to save yourself some money on your purchase. I also want to thank again, Pirelli Tires, Blenzel Oils, Works Connection. They have a promo code as well. It's JT21 at checkout to save yourself some money. Fast Foundry, who I've actually recorded the interview with Fast Foundry, so that will be in next week's episode. Plum Creek Funding, you can save yourself a ton of money. Go get a refi. If you're going to buy a new home, if you're in the market for any of that, please reach out to Zach Morris. I spoke with him this week, and they're setting records. Interest rates are at an all-time low. They have never been this low in the history of America. You know what that means? That means you have a huge opportunity to save a ton of money more opportunity than you've ever had. If you've had a home for 20 years, this could still be a great time to save a bunch of interest over the next 10 years. So just reach out to Zach, ask some questions, find out if there's an opportunity. 720-212-4685 is Zach's number. Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, if you mention the Industry Seating Podcast, you will get a 25% discount. Great opportunity there. If you guys are refurbishing bikes, working on your old bike over the winter to get it dialed for when the weather breaks a little bit, reach out to Brandon at Premier Vapor Blasting. You can go to his Instagram there. Check out all the cool things they're doing. 612 Suspension, I'm going to be recording an interview with Ronnie. They are a race tech affiliate. You can mention the Industry Seating Podcast and get a 20% discount on anything power sports. Anything you have, side-by-side, dirt bike, motorcycle, whatever the case may be, if it has suspension on it, you can bet. That 612 suspension can make it work just a little bit better, right? Why don't you make your equipment work, honestly, better than it was designed to? Because many of these bikes, when they come stock, you can get them revalved and set up for you, and they're going to work much, much better than they did right out of the crate. So check out 612suspension.com for that. ProGlow Wash, I will be doing an interview with Ryan from ProGlow when I am in at the Arlington round, so that's a couple months out. But go check out ProGlow Wash. And what... You know, I, I mention this in the podcast every week, but if you're going to go riding, if you're going to work on your stuff and wash your stuff, why don't you buy something that's specifically built to take grease off, to take, you know, dirt off of power sports items. I'm guilty. I'm as guilty of this as anyone. I used to go buy, buy simple green and go buy these things at Walmart. Those things aren't built for dirt bikes. They're not built for the specific needs that we have. So why don't you buy something that is check out pro glow. And I'm happy to announce they are a sponsor of the Pulp Max Fantasy League that will be starting up this weekend as well. So thanks to Ryan for coming on board there. And Grandstone Boots, if you, some of you work in an office just like I do, you need to dress up, you want to go out on a date on the weekend, date night with your wife, why don't you buy some Grandstone Boots and up your game a little bit. So I want to talk also a little bit about what's upcoming this week before I get into the final question. We will be doing the Pulp Show tomorrow night. So that's Monday night. So we'll look forward to that. We'll be talking about fantasy, talking about what we expect to happen at the Houston rounds upcoming. We will also be doing our Pulpamex fantasy podcast probably Wednesday. So look for that. That will obviously be a preview. The handicaps will be out and you'll be able to figure out who to pick uh, and a little insight before we get to, to Texas and see what's actually going on that day. 
Thursday, we will be doing the Moto 60 show. That will be the first Moto 60 show of the 2021 season, and that's live. Uh, I believe he does that at 12 noon. Uh, actually, he moved it, sorry. Does it at 11 noon uh, Vegas time, so 2 o'clock p.m. East Coast time, and that will be the first one. That's a Fly Racing Moto 60 show. Friday, we will be doing a live Pulpamex show sponsored by Fly Racing at Houston, and this is going to be at Three Palms Raceway. It's just north of Houston. You can get tickets. I think they're available on pulpamex.com. I know RacerX has been promoting it as well, but we would love to have all of you out. We're going to be doing a live show. We'll have myself, Steve Mathis, Jason Wygant, Weston Pike will be there. We're probably going to have a few other guests as well, but should be a great time. Weather's looking just perfect. Should be in the 60s for the show, so please come check that out and join us Friday night. Then Saturday, race day, of course, we will have a live show in the pits for all of you that are attending at the Fly Racing Hospitality area just after the last practice. So please come join us for that. We will be doing that at every round of Supercross. Uh, I don't know about that. Actually, Indy, we probably won't because there's not a fan fest. But every round of Supercross where there is you know, a pit party slash fan fest, we will be doing that Fly Racing radio show with myself, Steve Mathis, and Jason Wygant. As long as uh, everybody's there, maybe we'll have some subs come in. But it is a really cool show. We wrap up practice, talk about what we expect to go on that night, but pretty awesome. Then all of us will be staying the week together in the Houston area, and we'll be doing our race recaps and pulp shows and all that stuff from uh, Houston remotely. So look for all that stuff coming too. So just wanted to give you guys a little preview. It's going to be a really busy week, but pretty awesome. And we're kind of back in the flow now, finally. So good times to be had on that end. Now, the last question here that I had from James, and uh, James is getting all the love, all three questions. The last one is about Garrett Marchbanks, and he's basically just straight up asking, did he and Mitch just not get along? Did he make Mitch mad? Uh, you know, it's, and I agree with this point. It's crazy that he won Daytona and looked much better last year and then lost his, lost his factory ride. Now, from what I know, uh, and this, this happens, you know, riders are – they just don't always see eye to eye with teams. And sometimes when you have an agent involved and a rider is doing well, sometimes they will press the envelope a bit. They will try to get a much better deal. They're asked, they'll ask for a lot more money. And if they're not the easiest rider in the world to deal with, which that happens, sometimes riders are just not there. I don't want to, I don't want to point fingers here because I don't know every detail, but sometimes they are, a little bit harder to work with than other riders. Let's say that, right? I felt like I was a rider that was pretty easy to work with because I didn't real, I didn't really feel like I had a lot of leverage at any point. So I kind of always went with the flow, maybe to my own detriment. Now, other riders who have had factory equipment their whole life, they may not be as easy to deal with. They may have very high expectations and they may ask for a lot. And sometimes teams don't like that, right? You can, you can talk your way or negotiate your way right out of a deal. And I guess that's really the phrase I'm looking for. I, that's what I believe happened in this scenario is I believe that Garrett Marchbanks and his agent at the time negotiated their way right out of a factory contract. And I know that he talked to several other teams, but clearly it didn't work out. And that, that just, that's not the first time that's ever happened, you know? And some guys, when they are a title contender or they're winning everything in sight, 
teams will put up with it. They'll just roll their eyes and say, well, we got to keep him because we got to win and, and he can win. If you're not winning the title, even though March Banks was win- one day tone and looked fantastic, you have to make sure you are estimating your leverage correctly. You can't overplay your hand. There's another good phrase that, that fits this. You cannot overplay your hand when you're in a deal because guess what? If Mitch says, now nah, we're good, you better make sure you have a, a fallback plan. And I, I think in this scenario, for whatever reason, I think that they were challenging to deal with. And then I think he overplayed his hand on some level. So, you know, all's not lost here. The biggest thing he can do for himself is go out and produce results in this 2021 season on what I would guess is going to be inferior equipment. I don't know how he could replicate being on, you know, pro circuit Kawasaki equipment, but in that scenario, if he can go out and get podiums and prove himself that last year wasn't a fluke, I think he'll get another chance at it because he's really young. He showed a lot of potential He's just got to prove and say, like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to get back to where I was. So that would be my advice is, you know, you've got to take your hat in your hand to some of these teams that maybe you rubbed the wrong way and say, listen, I, I have the talent. I have the ability. Just give me another shot. So we'll see how it plays out. But from the outside, I'm pretty sure that's what went on. So short podcast this week. Of course, we're going to be getting back to race action. It'll be, there will be a lot more to talk about starting next Sunday. Thank you to all the sponsors. Thank you to Risk Racing for coming on. James Burry, the owner there. I hope to continue on with them in 2021. But again, six more days, folks. The countdown is on to some serious Supercross action. So we will uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks to the sponsors. Thanks, most importantly, to all of you for listening. We are done with year one of the Industry Seating Podcast, and we're on to year two. I'm very excited. I'm still working on uh, the call-in feature. So for now, continue to send the emails in, send me the DMs, all the things that you've all been doing. Uh, I do have a phone line. I do have a phone. I'm just kind of working out a few of the kinks to get them uploaded, but we are well on our way. I've got some interviews recorded, so things are happening. I promise you it's going to get better. Thank you for all your faith and listening and see you next Sunday.